Welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan and this is the July 27th edition. Today we are talking about news of a potential breakthrough in Ukraine. Congressional testimony that the U.S. is making progress in its realignment toward countering China. And we'll even go into the idea that Putin might use a nuke as a desperate last attempt or act of spite. This is going to be one of those episodes where you're going to feel so much smarter by the end of it, so I think you're really going to enjoy it. Besides all of this, we will also highlight some military units that are operating around the world. And then finally, we will, of course, cover some motivation and wisdom at the end, as we do with every episode. If you are new to the show, let me say as background that I'm a proud moderate and that I covered the news for more than 10 years as a journalist. Before that, I served four years in the Marine Corps on active duty and two years in the reserve, all of that time in the infantry. And yes, that does matter. Because for my fellow infantry and spec ops folks out there, we know that we've been more cold, more wet, more hungry, and more wronged than just about any other MOS out there. But I'm getting off topic here. In this show, The View from the Front, I primarily do three things every week. First, I work to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world while also covering hotspots and foreign policy news that could affect our country. Secondly, I attempt to unite us and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America. Our division is our country's greatest threat, and I firmly believe two things. Most Americans are good, and more unites us than divides us. Finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I want to help encourage you and lift you up. Life is certainly hard, and each one of us needs all the motivation and encouragement and wisdom that we can possibly get. Thanks again for joining us. I really hope you get something from the show. We begin this episode by discussing a potential breakthrough of Ukrainian forces in their counteroffensive against Russia. I'm recording this on Thursday morning, so the news is still unclear and a little hazy and a little foggy, but it is starting to appear that Ukraine has committed reserve forces into the attack and that they are pushing south across the land bridge in the Zaporizhia area. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about as far as where this attack is happening, this is toward the south across the land bridge that Russia set up. This has been one of the main goals of Ukraine since the beginning of the war, is that if they could push across this land bridge, it will help cut off and eventually starve Russian forces in the Crimean Peninsula. Now, you can see a map of this area from my Substack page. So if you want to see a map just so that you can visualize what I'm talking about, Go to the Substack page. I have two maps there from the Institute for the Study of War. They're an amazing uh, resource, and these maps will help you visualize what Ukraine is trying to do. Yesterday, on Wednesday, the New York Times reported that the, quote, main thrust of Ukraine's nearly two-month-old counteroffensive is now underway in the country's southeast. This was written by the New York Times' Eric Schmidt. He's been correct on a lot of stuff, and he quoted two Pentagon officials who spoke on condition of anonymity. Schmidt went on to say that U.S. sources were saying that thousands of reinforcements, which of course until recently have been held in reserve, are now, quote, pouring into the grinding battle, end quote, along a front in the country's southeast. This description, as Schmidt said, follows reports from the battlefield from both Ukrainian and Russian forces. Again, It's also been reinforced from reporting from the Washington Post. They had a big story about it, and there were also lots of information from Russian military sources, bloggers, etc. on social media. They were trying to claim that the Russians had stopped the Ukrainians. Obviously, you have to take what the Russian sources are saying with somewhat of a grain of salt. The Institute for the Study of War also reported on these large attacks They've seen some evidence of it with satellite imagery and with some leftover battlefield remains of tanks. So there's definitely some heavy fighting happening. It's not super clear how far that thrust has achieved so far. I've seen some sources. One mentioned was the Institute for the Study of War that Ukrainians pushed a couple of kilometers, but then Russia tried to move some forces there and counterattack. 
This is, of course, a small part of a larger thrust, which the Institute for the Study of War discusses. So this could have even been a feint in this area, and then a larger thrust will help happen elsewhere. But as we discussed last week, U.S. forces or U.S. officials have been increasingly frustrated that Ukraine had not committed its vast reserves. They probably only used about a third or a quarter of the newer troops that they had and the newer equipment as they have been moving forward slowly, probing through mines, etc. Obviously, the frustrations of Western officials in the U.S. and Europe have gotten through to Ukraine, and they are now pushing aggressively. Now, if you are a newer listener, and I've been thankfully getting newer listeners every single week, make sure you go to my Substack page and subscribe. I will be doing an update as more news comes out on this offensive. These will be just simple email updates, and you can subscribe from the Substack page with through the, either the episode link notes, or you can just go to stanormitchell.substack.com, or you can even Google it and just Google the view from the front with my name, Stan R. Mitchell. I will probably be doing an email update tomorrow once it's more clear on how far the Ukrainians have pushed, how fast they're pushing, but I'm looking forward to updating you guys on that, and I'm really hoping that Ukraine is successful in this pretty big move they're making. The second big story I wanted to discuss this week involves the U.S. strategy toward China. Now, China hasn't been in the news as much the past few weeks, and I haven't said a whole lot, but the longtime listeners probably know that we have been constantly reorienting and shifting our focus toward the Pacific and toward China as China grows more aggressive toward its neighbors and toward Taiwan. The U.S., much of the West and Europe, and certainly many of the island nations in the Pacific, as well as countries such as Vietnam, Thailand, and others in Asia that will be impacted by China's growing aggressiveness and moves toward intimidation. All of these countries have been moving toward closer partnerships, closer alignment with their military forces, etc. This actually came up since the last episode in some congressional testimony from Eli Ratner, who is the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Indo-Pacific Security Affairs. He actually testified to the House Select Committee on Chinese Communist Party and discussed some of these realignments and efforts that are currently happening. As you've probably seen before, the Department of Defense and the State Department always calls China a, quote, pacing challenge. But Ratner in that testimony was a little bit more specific about that, quote, pacing challenge. And when Ratner said China is the only country in the world with the will and increasingly the capability to refashion the international order in ways that they that would deeply undermine vital U.S. interests. Now, it's not just U.S. interest, of course, it's also world interest, because as China pushes and intimidates its neighbors, this is going to be, you know, economic warfare, where they push them into deals, into positioning Chinese troops on some of these islands or some of these countries. They intimidate their neighbors. We all know China's history of behavior, which is why many of these countries are beginning to align with the U.S. and the West, but that's just background, obviously. Ratner said during the testimony this week that, The past two years, the administration and Congress have worked together to ensure that the U.S. military is more capable, more distributed across the region, meaning the Pacific, and more deeply integrated with its allies and its partners. I have documented many of these efforts the past couple of years since I've been doing this podcast, but Ratner is correct that the U.S. has been moving increasingly toward positioning with allies in the region Let's do a quick recap or refresher. Just in case you've not been paying a lot of attention, since 1995, China's defense budget, or in 1995, China's defense budget was about twice the size of Taiwan. Today, China's is 20 times larger. So clearly over the past two decades, China has implemented the largest military buildup of any country in the world. That is like absolute fact You can see it in congressional testimony. You can see it in lots of defense publications. So China is clearly building its military for some reason. And you got to say, well, why would China do that? The short-term answer is Taiwan is one of the, the island of Taiwan. They want to invade and take back or try to strangle economically and maybe partially militarily. And so if they can strangle this island of Taiwan... 
that's one of the first moves in increasingly pushing and expanding you know this country of a billion people they've also been in uh, asserting influence with countries like Vietnam the Philippines Thailand other countries in the Pacific they've increasingly been pushing these countries around so all these countries have come together and in fact US the United States has allies with Australia Japan Vietnam the Philippines New Zealand they have something called the Quad. The partners of the Quad are America, Australia, India, Japan. All of these have increasingly pivoted toward the risk of China and China's growing intimidation of all these small islands and countries in the area, none of which alone can contain or deal with China. It's obviously a very big country. It's obviously an advanced country with a very capable military now you might say, well, why do we care? Let China do whatever China wants to do. But the problem with that short-sighted view is, first of all, China most certainly will economically and militarily intimidate, if not invade, many of these places as they've increasingly increased their control in Hong Kong. They have a horrible human rights, uh, human rights record. And so they're going to take these people and put them into camps where they're going to do very bad things to them. But even besides the humanitarian and just human, hopefully human ethical reasons that you, you probably have, the volume of shipping that goes through the Taiwan Strait and through that Pacific is just unbelievably large. It affects world trade, literally. Like, let me just throw out a stat. One-third of worldwide shipping passes through the waters we're talking about, which is the South China Sea and the Taiwan Strait. And that's according to the Center for Strategic and International Studies. So if China becomes too aggressive and isn't contained, they can literally control world trade. The second thing, Taiwan obviously produces the vast majority of semiconductors. So if China were to take Taiwan... This is going to have an impact back home on literally every appliance from your computer to your phone to every single thing that we use in the West in our way of life. So this is one of those things where you just can't let China start taking all these resources or controlling world trade. Because I assure you, if you think America has maybe not the perfect record in rights of people, let me assure you, you do not want China controlling the world. This would not be a good thing. That's why so many countries are coming together to counter this threat. So that's essentially what is happening just as a refresher, just so you can argue with your neighbor and make some counterpoints on why we should be involved. This is something that's going to affect us one way or the other, and we can either prevent some of this stuff from happening at a much smaller cost or we can wait to react as we have so many times, such as World War One, World War Two, and we can wait too late and it's a much larger and much more painful way to try to solve the situation. Back to the congressional testimony by Ratner, he was quoted as saying that consistent with longstanding US policy, we are supporting Taiwan's self-defense in the face of Chinese threats of aggression and the ongoing pressure campaign. Now, obviously, China has been diplomatically trying to pressure uh, Taiwan. They're preventing countries from recognizing Taiwan. They've been doing that for years in the UN. But they've also increasingly of late been flying, obviously, jets near the island to intimidate it. And they've also been encircling it with ships from time to time, showing that if we choose we being China, we can cut off Taiwan. Taiwan is a country that is much larger than most people realize. It literally has more than 23 million people on it. So unless you want to just write off 23 million people and their desire for independence and freedom, this is kind of a big deal. And again, as I said earlier, there are economic arguments as well for helping prevent China from its expansion and from it aggressively and militarily eventually taking Taiwan. Interestingly, even as Ratner was testifying, there was a large exercise happening in the Pacific called Talisman Sabre 23. This was, it had just a ton of participating countries. It had more than 30,000 troops participate in this. 
There were 13 nations from Japan to Germany. So this is more than just America that's trying to shoulder this load of keeping the international order in place to prevent larger countries from bullying smaller countries. But it was been a 15-day exercise, and it actually included several new Pacific Island partners, including uh, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, and Tonga. And so those were three countries that are participating for the first time because a lot of these smaller islands, they don't want to be invaded by China. They have literally had a peaceful existence since the end of World War II. And so no one wants China to do what it appears China wants to do. It's hard to explain why else you'd be building up your military the way you are. There's no one who threatens China. There's no country that's going to invade or attack China. They have a large nuclear force. They have probably the largest armed forces in the world. This is just a, there's no reason for what China's doing unless they intend to invade and militarily intimidate a lot of neighbors. That's why the world is starting to react. So it's just good to have all these facts at your fingertips just in case someone brings it up or says, hey, we shouldn't worry about this or we shouldn't worry about that. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that as situations so often are. So I think that's been a pretty good update on the situation there. I know we haven't discussed it on the podcast in a few weeks because, you know, there's not been a large or high-ranked visiting U.S. person to the Taiwan, which usually causes China to get very upset. Again, they're trying to control a country, but hasn't really made the news lately. But you need to keep all this stuff in the back of your mind because this is the thing that we're all trying to avoid as we navigate hopefully a peaceful existence with China and also a thriving trade relationship. It's in no one's interest for China to do what some of its far right wants to do. So let's just hope that they can keep the military in check and those who want to do things that would not be good long term. Let's just kind of keep them in check and let's keep peaceful coexistence together. Let's throw in a quick commercial and then we will discuss Putin and the nuke situation. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to help support the show, you can do so by signing up as a monthly paying subscriber. For $5 per month, you can help us sustain, grow, and improve the show. As you can probably tell, I truly do believe in trying to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, unite our country, and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America and share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode, because I want to help encourage you and lift you up. Long term, being able to quit my day job would be a dream come true. It's honestly what I feel compelled to do. And frankly, being able to do this full time would provide more time to cover news, unite the country, and focus harder on motivating others. These are all things I feel drawn to do. In that same line of thinking, I feel compelled to write fast-moving action stories about military service and police work. And while on the one hand you could simply say these are action thrillers meant simply for enjoyment, I think these books serve a deeper purpose as well, as I think they help attract talented people to both the military and law enforcement. Obviously, these are two crucial needs for our country. But you don't have to sign up as a paying subscriber I already have an awesome group of folks who are throwing a few dollars into the pot each month to keep the show going. And I thank God for each of these people. If it's meant for me to return to being a full-time author who also does the weekly podcast, then my dreams will come true. But on the other hand, if it is meant for me to continue working a day job and doing this on the side, then I will know that it is God's will. And I will be grateful for two things. For the financial stability my day job provides me, And I will also be grateful for the opportunity to reach hundreds of people each week as I try to help influence our amazing country's direction. If you would like to sign up to support the show, you can do that through my Substack page. You can find that at stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that is stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or you can find it in the episode notes. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you and how much you're doing to support just a little guy from East Tennessee. So let's talk about Putin and the idea that he might use a nuke, which he has threatened to do for months and months and months. I was having a conversation with a listener and this person says, you know, what if like Putin's out of options and as a last resort he uses a nuke or that he might just do it out of spite because he's too proud to admit defeat. And since this person said that, I thought, you know, if this person's thinking that, maybe others are as well. And so here's what I shared with this person and what I want to share with you guys. So first of all, 
there's a long history of proof that Putin is a coward. He wants to live. Now you say, well, what proof is there that this is true? Well, let's just talk about the recent mutiny that Putin had to deal with when Prigozhin moved north toward Moscow and there were barely any Russian forces to protect Putin in Moscow. What did he do? He fled. Worse than that, he not only fled to St. Petersburg, he literally froze up and didn't know what to do. And so his buddy in Belarus helped bail him out and work a deal. So that's fact number one. Also recently, and I shared this on some of my social media channels, there was an outspoken Russian critic who was a Muslim. Obviously, there are a lot of Muslims and followers of Islam in Russia, and especially in some of the Russian satellite countries that Russia tries to control. So Russia arrests this, this gentleman on some pretty rigged up and false charges. And an uprising starts to begin when lots of Muslim men begin marching in the streets. And I was following some of this on social media, as was many people. And these were very large crowds, and they were increasingly getting very angry and violent. And it was like, whoa, what will Russia do? Now, most countries would clamp down and deal with this situation. What did Russia do? What did Putin do? Uh, they allowed someone to talk to some of the Muslim leaders, and they released the person arrested. That is a sign of weakness. And yet, why did Putin do it? Because he couldn't deal with another uprising in his country, and because, let's be honest, he wants to stay in control, and he's, at heart, a coward. He's a, he's a gentleman who's never been on the front lines, and so he wants to stay alive. Now, if you want to stay alive, the last thing you want to do is launch a nuke at either Ukraine or any other Western nation because your life will come to an end. Unfortunately, a lot of others will as well. But Putin is a very rich man. He has a young girlfriend and probably lots of other women as well. He's lived a very comfortable life. People who live that way want to stay that way. They don't want to die in a nuclear holocaust because none of us honestly want to die within the next you know, 10 seconds, 10 minutes, etc. We all want to live. We all want to live in peace, generally speaking. So Putin likes to look strong. And I just think, so just from like a self-preservation standpoint, I don't think Putin wants to die. I don't think, I think he's a coward and he wants to live as long as he can. That's what most of us want, but I definitely think that's what he wants. And I think he has a documented history of this, of blinking when it comes time to decide whether to stand up or blink. He blinks. Now, let's dig into it just a little bit further. So U.S. folks in the intelligence business, and you can see this from some interviews with the CIA director, we have reached out to Russian commanders of nuclear forces and warned them to not use them or else. So we're literally keeping an eye on many of these forces, these nuclear forces. We know if they start to move weapons, if they start to load weapons, if they start to basically do things that would make us raise our own nuclear posture. I, as I, and as I told uh, this listener, it's not as simple as you think to just launch nuclear weapons. So there have to be commanders to do it. These commanders aren't stupid. They're high-ranking officers. And they know that if Russia suddenly ordered nuclear weapons, you have to say to yourself, wow, this is madness. Would, I, would you do it? Would you launch nuclear weapons? It takes more than one person to launch them, obviously. It's not even a, a super simple thing to do, but would you do it? Would you do it if you knew there would be a nuclear retaliation and that many of your family, probably yourself, your family, many cities would be wiped out? Would you, would you follow a madman and release nuclear weapons? That's something you should ask yourself. But I would take it even a further step. I think even if there was a chance that someone was going to do it, if we saw the kind of posture increasing, etc., I'm not sure that we would allow it to happen. I, if you were president and you saw that, you know, maybe there was a loyal commander somewhere and it looks like he's about to do something, do you think you would allow that to happen? I think it's a fair question. And so I think we have some means of basically dealing with such a situation were it to happen. There's a reason we have stealth bombers and everything else and even weapons that probably none of us know about and we won't know about for 20 years. So I just like to put people a little bit more at ease as far as will Putin try to launch a nuke? Could he launch a nuke? Would the military turn on him if he tried to order such a thing? So 
I don't think he would order such a thing. I think he knows that if he does that, that a military coup is probably going to happen. And so I don't think the orders would even be followed if the orders were, if they started even think about following it. I think there are some other things in place that we're not aware of. So that's my view on the situation. This is just on, I've tried to read on this as much as I can. This is obviously just all unclassified, open source stuff that you can read anywhere. And so there you go. I just, I think it's easy for him to throw that as a threat out as a threat. And I know that people worry about it, but I think we worry about it a little more than we should. And if you read some of the open congressional testimony, especially from the CIA director and some of our other NSA and others, we are clearly keeping an eye on Russia. I think if you look at even the invasion of Ukraine, we knew it was going to happen. We knew where it was going to happen. Ukraine didn't even hardly believe us at first. So, you know, if if Putin tried to do this, I just think that we're going to know it, and I think we're going to try to intervene and prevent it from happening. So there you go. That's my take on it. If you have a different take, hey, reach out to me. I'd love to hear your take. Tell me where I'm wrong. I might even bring it up in the next show. Now, before we get to the next section where I'm going to highlight some U.S. military units, I wanted to also note that in the Substack notes, if you go to my website, stanormitchell.substack.com, I have four stories linked there. They're all free to read. These are stories that could be much bigger in the days ahead. I didn't get a chance to cover them. The first one is the Russian defense minister has met with the North Korean leader, uh, Kim Jong-un, so you can read about that. There's some discussion about possible... Of course, the story doesn't say a lot because most of that conversation was obviously secret, but some analysts believe that they're discussing ways to potentially get more ammunition for Russian troops, maybe some other things, so... Russia is going to North Korea, which, let's be honest here, if you look at the long history of Russia and North Korea, in the past, North Korea was the much weaker country that needed Russian help, and now it's kind of flipped. So Russia is going to it's a smaller country of North Korea to basically beg for ammunition. Now, the other stories you'll see there, NATO is stepping up reconnaissance in the Black Sea region after Russia is declaring that it's not safe for shipping in that area. A lot of security analysts think Russia may try to sink a commercial ship that maybe has grain on it or other material and that they're going to try to blame the Ukrainians. Again, Russia's, I guess, repeated use of the same card all the time where they will do something incredibly stupid and try to blame some other country. They're going to try to probably play that card. So NATO is increasing surveillance in the area so that they can show what morons the Russians are. Now, the next story I want to share is Iran is allowing or giving detailed answers to UN inspectors over two sites where man-made uranium particles are found. We've talked about in the past that Iran is increasingly inching toward nuclear weapons. The U.S. says they will not allow it. At any time, that's a potential friction point that could get a little bit uglier. We've also detailed that Iran has tried to seize ships, and so Iran is playing Iran games there's a story there if you want to read into the details, into the weeds on some of that. The final story you'll find there, again, it's a free article to read, is that a Russian fighter jet has again damaged a American drone over Syria. That's the sixth incident this month. I think it was two weeks ago we went into the weeds a bit about some of the things that Russia has been doing to American forces in the Middle East. It is all very provocative. It's very dangerous. And it's the sign of a, of a weak country trying to appear stronger than it is. But it is a potential flashpoint. And at any given time, something like that can get a little bit more tense, a little bit more out of control. And it can lead to, you know, conflict. That's the unfortunate truth. Now let's move to one of the parts of the show that I really enjoy doing, which is highlighting military units. Every week, I like to mention or bring your attention to certain military units around the world, and there are several reasons I do this. First, these photos from the Department of Defense give some recognition to the service members and units. They also help educate the public on various jobs being done in the military, and they inform you on locations our service members are serving. You can view all of these photos that I'm about to mention from the link in the episode to my website. So just check the episode notes if you want to see these. And let's just run through these fairly quickly. But the first one is of a Air Force Academy cadet 
going through an assault course, which if you've ever done an assault course, that's when you're going through obstacle courses, mud, under obstacles, through mud, under barbed wire, etc., carrying a rifle. And it's to basically try to break you down, get you wet, muddy, push you to the limits. You'll be super winded, etc. But I share this photo because, as you know, it's summer. And I know speaking for myself, 20 plus years ago, I was one of those who left after high school during summer and went to boot camp or basic training, depending on what your department or, you know, military unit calls it. But there are a lot of young men and women who left high school and they are in boot camp or basic training right now. And they are absolutely being pushed to the limit. They are probably missing home a little bit but they are also being forged into great young men and women. So just shared that photo so that we can all think about the fact there are a lot of young men and women who are doing what, if you're a veteran listening to this show, you've done this, you know what they're going through, you know they're a little disoriented, and there's a lot that you go through with boot camp or basic training. But it's good to remember sometimes that there are young 18-year-olds, or in my case, I started at 17, went through boot camp at the age of 17, and then was 18 by the time I got through my uh, through the graduation of it, but some of them are 17, but a lot of young men and women out there really putting in some hard hours right now, and they're doing that to better themselves and to serve our country, and they definitely deserve our respect. The second photo I wanted to share was from Germany. It shows uh, Air Force Senior Airman Caitlin Rollins. She's uh, loading cargo aboard a C-17 Globemaster, which, if I'm not mistaken, the C-17 is the largest Air Force plane by far, and this is in support of moving additional supplies and equipment to Ukraine. But even if we weren't doing that, this is just an indispensable skill that the Air Force constantly has to do, and when they don't have to do it, they're training to do it because loading those aircraft as efficiently and as balanced as possible is truly a skill. Again, that photo was of Air Force Senior Airman Caitlin Rollins in Germany. There's also a photo I wanted to share from the Navy and the Marine Corps. This is photo is it shows Marines basically doing training on board the USS Lewis B. Puller. Now, I've been on ship before, and one of the hard things about being on ship, especially when it's often for weeks at a time, is you've got to stay physically fit while basically being stuck to a cot and standing in line for food. And it's often very hard to stay fit, so there's a small gym on most of these ships but there's also you've got to think of ways to improvise training and it was a, a great photo because there are marines literally rappelling down the side of a ship and in this case it's not like they even have another ship to practice on they're literally on their own ship finding ways to train which is what you have to do when you want to keep the sword sharp so great photo they're doing it at night to make it even more complicated and difficult and you can see them wearing night vision and so they are literally using what they have to keep the sword sharp. The third photo I wanted to share was of the guided missile destroyer USS Paul Ignatius. The interesting thing about this photo, it's a Navy ship in the Mediterranean Sea. Obviously, that's just south of Europe. So this is in the European theater. But they are selling, the USS Paul Ignatius is actually selling behind an Italian Navy ship. I'll probably mispronounce it. It's called the ITS Via Regio. And they're doing an anti-mine exercise. But it's just a reminder that even during peacetime, as the old saying goes, if you want peace, you prepare for war. And so a lot of times if you have a son or daughter who's on a ship, they're not just sailing around doing nothing. They're actually practicing drills such as this where they are practicing clearing landmines so that if they ever had to do it in a serious situation, they would know how to do it. And then the final one is I wanted to share a photo of a naval ship that's launching a unmanned surface vessel. These, um, this ship is actually in the Caribbean Sea, and it's a part of UNITAS, which is the world's longest-running annual multinational maritime exercise. So again, this is our Navy working with other allied navies, making sure that communications are good, that we all work together well, which helps reduce cost since if you're allied with other countries, everyone is sharing the burden of helping keep the world safe. Definitely take a look at those photos on my Substack page if you get the chance. And let me say that I want to thank both those members mentioned above as well as all of our service members who are deployed and activated around the globe. I strongly believe that you help keep America safe and strong. 
and that you also help stabilize the world and prevent stronger countries from bullying, intimidating, or invading weaker countries. In my opinion, the facts are clear. The presence of American troops around the world saves an untold number of lives each and every month. So thank you if you are one of those who are serving, have served, or have a family member serving. Let's move now to the best part of the show, which is the motivation and wisdom section. We're going to begin the motivation and wisdom section with a little pep talk because someone out there needs to hear this. I know someone out there needs to hear this. Listen, life is passing you by. You only get one shot at life and you're letting it slip through your fingers day by day. Life has beaten you down, kicked you in the face, ignored you, punished you, rained on you, assailed you with illnesses and injuries, burdened you with debts and levels of despair that I know are breaking your spirit. But you have to get up. Do you hear me? You have to get up. You're going to get up and you're going to get up now. And you're going to start fighting back. Do not let despair win. Get up and take a step forward to confront these things facing you right now. Do it now. And let the following items that I'm going to share lift your spirit and take you to a higher level. You can do this. You're meant to do this. And you have to do this. For yourself, for your family, for your creator. And with all of that being said, I truly hope these help pick up your spirits that they help revive your hopes, and that they help make you a better person. I hope that pep talk helped motivate you and wake you up. I once read, if you don't think you're powerful, think of your most important relationship of that person who's depending on you. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a parent you're caring for. Maybe it's your spouse. If you don't think you're important, if you think you don't matter, imagine if you suddenly went away. Who would care for that person? Who would check on them, love them, care for them, help them. We are all way more powerful and important than we think. And the work we do, even that work we forget about and sometimes complain about, it's important. You can have an impact. You are having an impact. And now that you're paying attention, let's share a few more items to help feed you and make you stronger. Here is the first one. Have this belief. I am worthy of making my dreams come true. Again, have this belief. I am worthy of making my dreams come true. Here's the next one. Probably heard of this one before, but it's still worth reiterating. But it's about how fast bamboo grows after a slow start. So here's the quote. Once the bamboo seed is planted, the farmer waters it every day. He does that for four years before the tree even breaks ground. When it finally does... It grows 60 feet in 90 days. Remember, good things take time to take root, but when they do, and there you go. So once again, once the bamboo seed is planted, the farmer waters it every day. He does that for four years before the tree even breaks ground. Again, four years. When it finally does, the tree grows 60 feet in the next 90 days. Remember, good things take time to take root, but once they do, all right, here's the next one. Success is 1% idea, 99% doing. Again, success is 1% idea, 99% doing. Next one. All children are artists. The problem is how to remain an artist once they grow up. That was a quote from uh, Picasso. Again, all children are artists. The problem is how to remain an artist once they grow up. Next one. Work on yourself daily and watch your life change. Again, work on yourself daily and watch your life change. This next one's a great one. Go as far as you can see. When you get there, you'll be able to see farther. Isn't that a great one? Go as far as you can see. When you get there, you'll be able to see farther. All right, here's the next one. You can be as great as you want to be. What does it take? Self-belief, courage, determination, dedication, focus, drive, patience, humility, gratitude. Again, you can be as great as you want to be. It takes self-belief, 
courage, determination, dedication, focus, drive, patience, humility, gratitude. Next one. Once you truly understand that it is okay to lose or fail, you are free. You have nothing to fear. And only then can nothing in this world hold you back. Again, once you truly understand that it is okay to lose or fail, you are free. You have nothing to fear. And only then can nothing in this world hold you back. Next one. Train your mind to be calm in every situation. Again, train your mind to be calm in every situation. Next one. Take responsibility for your success. It's nobody's job, only yours. Let's not blame others, right? Let's not make excuses. Take responsibility for your success. It's nobody's job, only yours. All right, next one. Worrying does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. Again, worrying does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. So let's not worry too much, right? Of course, that is easier said than done, without question. All right, so let's include a couple from the Bible, because I think we all forget how much good stuff is in the Bible. I know just speaking for myself, I went for years with barely reading it, and I've returned to it of late, and it's doing so much to help strengthen me and help me find what really matters in life, you know, faith, family, great core values, etc. So here's the first one. This one's from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31 and 32. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I'll read that one real quick one more time. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Rules his spirit. We all need to have a little bit better control, don't we? And then the second thing I want to do, I wanted to read Psalms 113. And it's a short one, but it's a good one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Again, that was from Psalms 113. I shared that on social media, and several people were like, man, that was a great verse. So, or a great chapter, I should say. So, sharing it with you guys. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a good one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. So many men and women have sacrificed, fought, and died to keep this country together the past 240 years. Please work daily to unite our country again. The vast majority of Americans are decent, loving, great people. Also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. For those who are listening for the first time, let me say a bit more about myself and the podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10-plus years in the news business, initially as a reporter, but then going on to start a weekly newspaper in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013. But once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 12 books, and while it's true I'm still writing, I'm now here as well, 
a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. If you were to ask anyone who lived in Oak Ridge during the nine years that I owned that weekly newspaper, they would tell you that I sought to downplay controversy, I worked hard to understate headlines, and I did my absolute best to never create panic, which is a terrible way to sell newspapers, but is a responsible way for a media outlet to act. I plan to do these same things with my podcast. I love the news, and we need the news, but we need to have news that's less over the top. News that folks don't dread to hear because it's too scary, and news that isn't so blown out of proportion and fear-based that it was clearly written to be shared and scare the devil out of people. The news shouldn't be a game intended to grab eyeballs and monetize dollars. It is an absolute fact that our democracy doesn't work if we don't have informed voters. And since we're talking about the news and informed voters, let me say this. I believe that foreign policy decisions are the most important decisions that we face as a country. They lead to greater consequences on the world stage, and they can lead to tragic deaths, either because we shouldn't have intervened somewhere, or perhaps because we should have. America is the world's leading power, and we mostly lead the world from a position of moral authority, showing other countries how they should behave in regards to ethics, restraint, and providing freedom for their citizens. Foreign policy decisions can be tragic and heartbreaking, and it's important that we get them right. It's also crucial that when we get them wrong, such as when we did in the Vietnam War, then the faster we can course correct, the faster we can reduce how many lives we lose. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think that much can be gained from discussing these issues and creating a community where we intelligently discuss the troubles confronting us and where we work to come closer together and respect each other's views with more patience and kindness. A house divided cannot stand, and I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us. I will not remain silent while politicians, seeking their own personal gain, try to throw gas on a dangerous fire, doing their best to tear apart this country so that they can advance to a higher office. I will also not remain silent when we have media organizations doing great harm to our country by scaring people or creating panic. We face great challenges as a country, but America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. So let's get a little better informed, and let's work to get a little more united as a people. Thank you for being patient and allowing me to share that monologue. I think it's important people hear what I'm about, and I think it's also important my regular listeners hear this message enough that it sinks in, that it affects what they believe, that it affects how they act. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as kindness, patience, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. Thanks again for your patience and for listening. I know it's not the sort of fast-paced, really hip, Twitter-friendly, TikTok-cool message that fits most podcasts that go viral, but maybe we've got a few too many podcasts that are like that. Maybe we need to go back to something deeper, to something firmer and more solid, to something we can build a foundation from, and that's what I'm offering. Now, we're almost to the end of the show, and I'd be a fool not to mention my books. I'm honestly a terrible salesman. I'm not pushy. I could do better about believing in my books and my side career that I'm trying to spring to life. See, all that motivation I share each episode, half of that, maybe more, it's for me. But in all honesty, my books are pretty good. I write fast-paced books, and when I say fast-paced, I mean really fast-paced. And if you read the reviews, people say they are gripping, compelling, and full of twists and turns. I've written a dozen books to date, and I've been fortunate to have sold more than 70,000 copies. If you're one of those people who've purchased one of those books, let me say thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Now let me say just a bit about the various series and books, just in case you're still here, and just in case you're still intrigued. I've got a CIA book series about a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There are five books in that series, and it's not only fast-paced and crammed with action, but people say the main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most amazing real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne Superman. He's just a hard, 
tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in the series is called Sold Out because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out by the federal government. Obviously, that's why I named it Sold Out. Now, I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which is Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it. It's got loads of action. It's got a couple of cops die before the end of book one. And if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also book two. Book one is called Takedown. Book two is called Gravel Road. And Gravel Road may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. Everyone talks about that. Now, I've also got book one of a private investigator series that's done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. There's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl is hot and she takes part in the chase. This book is called Hell in the Mountains. Now, I've got two realistic war novels. One of them is about World War II. It's called Soldier Own. It is just an unbelievable story. It goes into the realities of military leadership as soldiers get pushed and pulled through physical torment and mental anguish. Veterans who have read that book say they are just, it's just beyond gripping how real it seems. And then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan. It's called Hill 406. It's about a couple of Marines who end up having to disobey orders and risk everything to save some fellow Marines. Anyone who's been in the military knows that sometimes there are military leaders who are not that great, and this book goes into the leadership and how sometimes disobeying an order in order to save lives might be the right thing to do. Now, finally, I've got a motivational self-help book called Number 44, The Ten Traits That Carried Obama to the Top. This book is about helping you reach an all-new level and has absolutely no politics or left or right issues. It's crammed with information that will motivate you and inspire you as you wrestle and fight with your own challenges. You'll learn how Obama came from a broken family in poverty and conquered so many mind-blowing obstacles, including a crushing election defeat that most people aren't even aware of. This book will really help you in your journey, including teaching you ways to be optimistic that you can become something, persevere while doing the dirty, non-glamorous work, put in the reps as you improve your craft, Stand strong against pressure from outsiders. Never give up on your dreams. Persist on those dreams even after early failures and burnout. It will help increase your confidence, help you become more self-aware, and finally, it'll even help you increase your charisma. I got all these tips and tools in this book that I think could really help you. If you are interested in any of these books, you can find links to them in the episode notes, or you can just go to Amazon. Look up my full name, Stan R. Mitchell. Make sure you include the R because there are other Stan Mitchells. Just look up Stan R. Mitchell on Amazon, and they are all 12 there. For those who are still listening, thanks so much for joining us this week. I am out. I will see you next Thursday.